The following podcast may contain discussions supported by science that may be considered dangerous to some listeners and conspiracy theorists. Discretion is advised. The Three Down Greencast is brought to you by the Pile of Bones Brewing Company. Home delivery available in Regina at sassbeerdelivery.ca. Welcome to the Three Down Greencast. You are listening to the internet's only Sawyer Bittner Appreciation Podcast. <laughs> I'm Joel Gasson with John Fraser, as usual. And yes, it was uh, it was a great weekend for four-fifths of, let's say, the current Saskatchewan football landscape. Mm-hmm. As uh, all of our amateur teams had a really great weekend around here. Yeah. Uh, of course, here in Regina, the big upset of the weekend uh, really had people talking was the Regina Rams picking up their first ever win over the Calgary Dinos. In I would say probably surprising fashion, because um, I because I, I, I mean Calgary follows, Calgary came in ranked number one and they just they bas- I watched that game they pretty much took it to them the entire game the score was a well, little flattering to Calgary I think at the end well and, and I think too I, I'm with you from everything you told me uh, I would put that as a big upset this the last time we saw the Rams on the field they weren't really anything special while. Mm-hmm. Calgary, you know, and they've had all these years of dominance and they beat a really good Huskies team in their first week. So uh, I would I would have out of all of the I would say that that Rams victory over the Dinos was more shocking than the Stampeders victory over the Riders to put it in pro pro ball perspective. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. There's no question about that. I mean. The Riders don't have much success against Calgary in general recently. No, no, no. And and my bad gut feeling came true. So does mm. that mean I finally had a good take? Maybe. Oh, whoa. But but back to back to good things and mm. us being the Sawyer Bittner Appreciation Podcast. Yeah, so if you missed this by now, uh, you probably <laughs> have to be living under a rock because it's not only been become, you know, sort of a moment here in Saskatchewan, um, all across North America – Sorry, Bittner has become a star, essentially. Oh, Maybe yes, even other parts of the world, depending on how far this went. Uh, because after he uh, scored a touchdown, he lined up, he did the old sneak play, and uh, somewhere along the line, he doesn't know exactly how it happened, at least during the game, uh, he came out of that thing with a bloody nose. Like, not just a little dribble. Like, you can see the photo if you head to 3 downnationcom JC Abbott wrote a story on the whole thing. Um, like, his... Like, his nose and his lips and his teeth are just caked in blood. And because Ken West is kind of fun, um, they allow players to interview on their broadcast in, on the sideline in the middle of the game. Oh. So, yeah, he talked to the broadcast, and, um, yeah, I think he had, like, the cotton and everything stuffed up his nose. And they talked, and they kind of went over it, and... Um, he was asked basically about that type of play, you know, the whole thing. And he said, yeah, I'm from Moose Jaw. We're a get gritty group. <laughs> well, the thing, too, that I love about, like, the pure live energy of the interview is as he's talking to uh, Global Regina's uh, Daniela Ponticelli on the sidelines there, you can see she's like, oh, I think you bled on me. And he's like, I- I'm so sorry. Like, it's just like she she's like cleaning off blood off her blue blazer while Sawyer Bittner's just leaking everywhere. And of course, in typical, also good Saskatchewan kid fashion, he is apologizing for, you know, bleeding all over the sideline reporter as he's just leaking from the face and getting, you're right. Like, like, and, and for one too, I'm glad 
that of all the players in U Sports to get this kind of attention, mm-hmm. he's getting it because he might have one of the best Twitter feeds for any football player that's out there. He's he's just he's a great follow. I've been following him since the days with the Regina Thunder. Uh, he's very self-aware. He's funny, and to see him getting this notoriety is uh, is really cool. And uh, I, I know they may not be the best organization in terms of you know not being scumbags, but to see Barstool pick it up and actually uh, potentially name him Football Guy of the Week is some pretty cool recognition. Yeah, I think I believe it appeared in like the Comeback or Awful announcing or something like you know one of those two. I mean, they're the same group there. That that and part of my taking a whole bunch of other places. It's uh, it's popped up as uh, you know people love really good football stories like that. So. But yeah, of course, congrats to the Rams on their uh, huge win, something that they've obviously never done as since they've at least since they started joining U Sports because of course before that they couldn't beat the Calgary Dinos because they wouldn't have played them. Um it's true. when they were a junior team, despite some social media posts going around, I uh front of the show Phil and John sent uh, Dan Plaster sent me, I can't even remember the name of the account that it said, oh, in the first time in their 67-year history, the Rams beat the UFC Dinos. It's like, well, they could only have been playing them for the last 20 years or so. So, well, that that's it. Like, you have to, you have to, like, it is funny though because the Rams like keep their junior football like accolades and they they brag about them all the time. But at the same time, it's like, no, you guys, you guys are a U sports team now, and you kind of have to. You know, you kind of have to pick a lane here, Regina. You can't just decide to be the best of both worlds. You're not the hardest working candy in town with two jobs. You're a U-sports team. Just go ahead and, and lean into it. Your new history. Yeah, it hasn't been 65 years since you beat the Dinos. It's been like 20, which is still a long time to go without beating the Calgary mm-hmm. Dinos. In, 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 clarity, in clarity, it wasn't the Rams who sent this out. It was some other third-party site that I never heard of. Uh, so, uh, well, yes. well, to them... Do your damn research like we do extensively here on this podcast. Yes, absolutely. And, of course, uh, big weekend all around in Saskatchewan. Uh, the Huskies, they beat UBC. The Regina Thunder won, and as did the Saskatoon Hilltops. So, a uh, very successful weekend for our amateur clubs around here. Yeah, no, really good weekend. Good weekend of football. Uh, it was another beautiful weekend to, to head on out uh, wherever you may catch and watch your football and again that's one thing we always praise here on the program uh, i have been a bit of a hypocrite i haven't made it out to any of these great amateur teams at all uh through this summer covid and babies and stuff like that uh but the saskatchewan huskies uh actually their home opener is this coming saturday uh two o'clock game here in saskatoon uh and talking to my good buddy Suk, who is the uh, husky special teams coach uh he says this is one of the best teams he's ever seen and that man knows uh, three things, how to hit a golf ball, uh, how to kick a, uh, a football, and how to be one handsome devil. And where to properly buy a vehicle, apparently. That's right, because <laughs> he was in buying a Toyota. That's where I saw him. So I was trying to keep that low-key, but I appreciate you giving me the ample opportunity to go ahead and uh, pay my own bills with my end's Toyota love. Now it's time to help pay your bills, Joel. We have new mm-hmm. Manscape copy. A week to go, and we get new Manscaped copy. Oh, but it, <laughs> it has some new terms that I feel like might almost end up being shirt-worthy, okay? Mm. <clears throat> get your Sergio be... shirt through John, by the way. Oh, yes. Podcast yes. business. That's right. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, this is kind of the business segment here. Sergio shirts, uh, I'm going to try to uh, get my sister-in-law to tweet out a link. A little busy this weekend, but if you want a Sergio shirt, 
uh, hit us up on Twitter. So, for Manscaped, pay these bills. Autumn is in the air. The pumpkins are in the patch. And our friends at Manscaped, in all caps, are here to make sure that you don't carve your Pence pumpkins when you're grooming. Do you know what I'm saying? See, Pence pumpkins, that is going to be a thing, okay? Make sure you're keeping things fresh this fall. The leaders of male grooming, their brand new fourth generation performance package. Boys, get ready for a cuffing season. Like, I don't even, what, what is cuffing season? Am I too old for this? It might be, I have no idea. Unless we're all getting arrested for something, I don't know. That's fair. Okay, you Google it while I finish up the ad read. Uh, ready to take the leap into fall with Manscaped? Join the 2 million men worldwide using Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20. Uh, and because I'm not the king of transi- transi- transitions like Joel Gasson, I can't even get the word out of my mouth. Uh, apparently, according to the do not read part, I'm supposed to talk about a time how Manscaped has helped my confidence. And I can tell you, when f- your Pence pumpkins are nice and performing. I want another P word, but when they're all trimmed up, less sweaty. I can tell you that. Hmm. You become less sweaty, which makes me more confident at work. Uh, get 20% off plus free shipping for your Pence Pumpkins with the code fansided 20 manscapecom That's 20% off free shipping with the code fansided 20 manscapecom Make your balls a priority this fall. I also like that. Choose Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. Or your Pence Pumpkins, as they are now forever called. I, we are dropping a quipmunk and going with pants pumpkins. Groin gourds. Would that work too? <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit. I almost <laughs> take all of my computers. <laughs> that, was, that was really good. I was thinking about it for a minute. I was trying to like, when can I say groin gourds? <laughs> no, we can't real close to <laughs> you Your mic's already you. broken. You might as well break your computer too, I guess. Oh, God. I definitely would have. The, the computer's got like that Costco two-year you-do-anything-to-it warranty, so that would have been a fun mm-hmm. one. Uh, how'd you break this? Well, I got red ale all over it because of a spit take while recording my podcast because my co-host dropped an all-timer. <laughs> anyway, um, apparently lots of people have been asking about cuffing season because it came up very quickly in Google when I started searching C-U-F-F. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so apparently it's not an old thing. It's it's uh, we're married thing. Oh, okay, okay, that makes cuffing sense. season. And this is from the CBC, so you know it's like real. Sure. Cuffing season has arrived, and this is from November 2020. So I guess it's arriving again. Um, cuffing season has arrived, which means singles are on the hunt for short-term relationships. From October until about Valentine's Day, people seek to be tied down. Data suggests really? it's like a winter thing, you know. I don't know, warmth, see, whatever. See, yeah. see, now, when I was single, I was the opposite. You didn't want to start anything in October because now you're on the hook for the awkwardness of the Thanksgiving invite, the Christmas presents, and then the New Year's and Valentine's Day. Like, that's that's a lot of big, like, things to get through real quick in a real hurry. And I mean, I guess when it I was depends a... how seriously you're taking it. Um, right. Suddenly, I remember my first date was at an Oktoberfest, and Lacey moved in in November. So I apparently am a huge hypocrite. <laughs> so your plan didn't exactly work that well. Um, like many things, I Fraser cursed it, and it all kind of worked out in the end. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, the crucial information that we've been able to um, inform the nation with today. Um, our most, the number of our listeners probably already knew that we're just 
old, married, and out of touch, and don't really know much about anything that the kids are talking about these days. So that's fair. I am fully waiting to get completely ripped on by my buddies in the fantasy football league because they take every opportunity uh, to go ahead and give me the shots, and I, I mean, can't blame them. I mean, they don't have to listen to this podcast to do that. So no, but they do. I don't <laughs> get it. Well, I mean, they it's listen, the... and that's fine. That's great. But they can make fun of you for a lot of other reasons. But it's still it's still that okay, and and I touched on this last week. It's like the weird disconnect <laughs> when somebody says they actually listen to us, and I go, "Oh yeah, I guess we are publicly available and have listeners every week." I just I just don't. I just picture me in my corner of my basement with my fake plant, and my beer, talking to you. I forget that people, and I appreciate every single one of you. Yes, I do listen. upload this somewhere for people to actually listen to. Yes, that right. It happens. just there's yeah. there's a disconnect in my brain that people would actually <laughs> take the time to listen to this bullshit. That's fair. That's fair. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we do have to talk about the Saskatchewan Rough Riders on this podcast. That's kind of the initial pitch I made to. Uh, Duncan Drew Edwards at the time is that that's kind of what we were going to talk about on the show. Right, right, um, right. Which we kind of do eventually. Yeah. So we have to talk about, uh, you know, how frustrated Cody Fajardo was and what happened in that game and sort of the fallout from all of that and uh, the addition of Duke Williams and what that may or may not mean for this team as well. But as usual, before we get into all that, for the Pile of Bones Brewing Company this week, even though you've already given away, John, what is in the glass this week? <laughs> it is the Pile of Bones uh, Red Ale uh, that I am sipping on uh, because all I could think of is my growing gourd. Screen. And it is it is perfect. Uh, it is To me, it is the perfect fall winter beer. It's not summery. It's a perfect red ale. Uh, tough to beat, uh, delightful in my face, and uh, almost all over my computer screen with the groin gourds line. Yes, that uh, was shit. That was good. <laughs> uh, if we run a more a less reputable website, that's what I would name this episode: groin gourds. You're still debating it, though. I can feel it. It's, I can it's feel there. It. I just don't know if I would be able to get away with that one. I, I, I feel like <laughs> you should text Dunk and, and, like, I know I normally live my life in the beg for forgiveness, don't ask for permission line, but this is mm-hmm. one I feel like, hey, Dunk, can we name this episode The Growing Growing? <laughs> <laughs> you can't even say it. No, I can't. <laughs> I couldn't see transmission a few minutes ago. And I'm not even drunk tonight. Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, High-quality broadcasting. As always, that's why uh, our listenership is through the roof. Um, For me, I have uh, probably one of my favorite beers that I've had in a long time, at least sort of newer sort of stuff, uh, would be the Rebellion Brewing Black IPA. Oh, you were telling me about this. Tell me about the taste, taste profile. So I don't know if, uh, if you have if you've had like the pile of bones black IPA that they've released a couple of times. Um, it's a little more on the roasty side than that one, which is a little like citrusier, I think. But it's just got such a great balance of like all of the flavors that I love in beer. So like it's got just a hint of that sort of dark roast flavor. It's got a hint of sort of citrusy from hops, and it's got a little bit of a hoppiness to it as well. So it's just it's just a delight, especially at this time of year where okay, you know, you work during the day and it's hot and for some reason it's still hot during the day right now, but it cools off so nice at night that you just don't mm. want that, like, sort of lighter, refreshing drinking beer. And this one just this one just kind of hits all the notes and that's really why I enjoy it. Well, I'll have to give that a try because I have, I, I, I have been scared of things that are dark 
Mm-hmm. It's not, it, it doesn't taste like a stout like at all, really. Like it's got a little bit of that roasty flavor to it, but it's not like overwhelming in any kind well, of way. It's all nicely. Is, it's all nicely balanced, which which is fine because I, I I don't mind a little bit of that roasty flavor. It's the same with the uh, mm-hmm. cold brew americanos. How I'll have a couple of those. Uh, but not a bunch, so I'll have to. It's one of those that I wish yeah. would come in like a single can because I feel like it would be one that if I got – no, what I will do, I'll try it right before the curling trials weekend, mm-hmm. and if I don't like them, you can drink them from my fridge. Fair enough. If they're still around by then, I mean, that's over a month away. But that's, that's I, th- I awesome. think there are there are places in around that you can get singles from. I don't know where in Saskatoon, but I do know they exist from depending on where you go. That's fair. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the riders, uh, five and three no on the smooth se- transition for the first time ever, Joel. I could hear the gears turning in your head. I was waiting for you. It's a first. That's like three years of doing this podcast that you weren't super smooth. So I feel like we should probably just give up the recording now because now we're fucked. <laughs> uh, the riders aren't fucked though, despite ah, despite everything. It may feel like it at times. I don't know after they you know after you lose a game, sometimes it it feels worse than it really was. And, you know, sort of big picture of that game before we really get into, you know, the nuts and bolts of, you know, and the main storylines out of that game. Mm-hmm. I still feel like this team is going to be fine. I think that felt like to me one of those games where, understandably, I think the team was very frustrated after the game. You felt that in Cody Fajardo's, you know, media availability afterward. Yeah. Uh, everyone else was far more level-headed about it, but they're... You know, this, that's part why we part of the reason why we love Cody is he puts everything out on his sleeve all the time. He wears his heart on his sleeve. You know exactly what he's thinking. He's not going to lie and say the right thing just for the sake of it. Um, but yeah, like, and I had heard like it was it was you know one of the more frustrating losses for this team in the Craig Dickinson Jeremy O'Day era. But I think after you sit on it for twenty four hours and you you kind of just think about it for a little bit. I don't think it was as bad as it felt. Like, it wasn't a good game. Like, it was hardly not an entertaining game in any way at all. But in terms of the way they played, I would say for at least three quarters, maybe three and a half quarters, they were the better football team. They didn't really get any get any luck, and we'll get into sort of what happened as to why they didn't. But I think big picture, they're still okay. They're still fine. And it was just one of those games where things kind of got weird, and... They couldn't punch it in. They couldn't connect on plays. Calgary had a hot start off the bye week and then kind of faded. I still think the Riders are the better team. And over the next couple of games, I think that'll come to bear and show and and be proven. I, I don't think the Riders struck me at the beginning of that game that they weren't prepared to have a kitchen sink thrown at them like mm-hmm. Calgary did. Yeah. Like it seemed like Craig Dickinson and the Stampeders had basically mapped out, which is not uncommon in football, no. basically mapped out their first 20 or so plays. This is what we're going to run. This is what we're going to do. I think the riders were shocked a little when they kept going for it on third and short and third and medium. Like it just seemed like Calgary came out with like a playoff style of intensity and the riders couldn't match it and they weren't necessarily prepared for it because again you and i had discussed last week that you know in a three game series which again is so rare you don't really know what you're going to see things might get vanilla i think that they were maybe prepared for a more vanilla game plan and calgary basically came out like this was the gray cup and Mm -hmm. and stuck it to them uh and like you said joel the riders weren't bad uh the thing as i was texting you that night 
Hmm. For the first time since he took over starting quarterback of the Riders, I was a little worried about Cody Fajardo. Only because he was missing some pretty open targets. Uh, Everybody's talking about, you know, I heard Jamie and I uh, talking about the other day about, you know, the last play of the game where he chucks it deep into, like, quadruple coverage when he had picked in open across the middle. Like, it just, it, it seems like I would say objectively that might be the worst game of Cody Fajardo's career so I wasn't surprised to see him frustrated and I like Mm -hmm. to see the emotion out of it and I like to see you know it might have been a little misplaced but for a guy to come out and and say yeah I'm pissed off I'm not happy these guys didn't do enough this didn't do enough I love that raw emotion because I'm so friggin sick of watching NHL player interviews and not hearing any of that It's, it's it's nice to hear with Cody and I'm with you. I think they will be fine. I'm going – that tone might change depending how they look in the rematch this weekend. And we'll get into that in a bit, yeah. Right, of course. But I think for now it's – I mean, hell, Winnipeg, who's been so dominant this year, lost to Toronto. You're going to have those stinker games mm-hmm. once in a while, and this was just one of those for Saskatchewan. Meanwhile, Calgary was essentially playing for their lives mm-hmm. and came out and brought it for 10 minutes and just, again, I don't think Saskatchewan could match the intensity to begin, and that's what led to their demise. Yeah, and you brought up the final play of the game, and I and I think you know this isn't just a rider thing. This isn't just a CFL thing. A lot of people like to get caught up in sort of you know the, you know, the big moment, that one final play late in the game and whether it decides the game or not. I'm like... I, I I don't like thinking that way. There was a lot that led to that play being as important as it was, and <laughs> with the dumbest onside quick sequence. Yeah, I, and I mean, like the fact that the I mean that was going to be the story. I think of that game until some other things sort of happened since. But yeah, that was a really fun sort of sequence that is kind of being overlooked now. But I mean, you you talked about it like early on. Like I, there was the plays. Like there was the past Kyron Moore. I think if he hits that on third and three, it's a different ball game. Um, yes, and I, I question. You know, I still have questions about whether that was the time to go for it, given the time, given everything that was kind of going on in the game at that time. It was early on. Calgary just had a really great, great drive, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I can also understand the logic behind going for it. And at the end of the day, the play was there to be made. They just didn't execute. So that's really what that came down to. And that was sort of a repeated theme throughout the day on a lot of different plays. And I still think ultimately. Okay, Calgary came out really strong. They had a great first 10 minutes or so and then really didn't do anything the rest of the game. After Calgary went up 14-0, I mean, the Riders outscored them 17-9. So from that point on, they were the better football team. And I texted you this right before half. I think it was about four minutes left or so when they got the ball. And I can't remember exactly what the score was, but they had a chance to, I believe, to score and make it 17-10 or something at that point. Like, make it a one-score game. And I texted you and I said, if they score a major here... They're going to go on and win with ease because it had yep. all of the writings of, okay, you know, team comes off, you know, inferior team comes off by week looking strong, as you said, with a script to play that to their credit, they executed perfectly. And from then on, they just couldn't really do much of anything. The better team slowly gets better and ends up winning the game. As a fan of college football, I see that script play out hundreds of times every single freaking weekend. Right. <laughs> so I've seen that a lot. So I was like, okay, if they score here, they're going to win. They they scored, a, they ended up settling for a field goal. So I guess you can say it kind of came to fruition because they didn't score a major and go on to win with these. Um, so they they still, despite everything that happened at the start of the game, they were still in it. They were still the better team. So I think if they kind of, if they come out stronger, get a better start, 
connect on a few more passes beyond, you know, three yards downfield, then they should be able to win that. You know, strange things can happen. They can still lose games. Anything's possible. But that's kind of how I see big picture. The question is, how do they go about doing that? Because obviously we've all seen this tape now. We've all seen the footage of Cody Fajardo very frustrated after the game. Uh, even before his media interview, you see him on the sideline. Um, as he described it on Tuesday, um, he said he was having a hissy fit as a child who lost his toy. Um, I, I, I can't <laughs> not love the guy. Like, which, I mean, he, which I mean, he wasn't wrong. He wasn't wrong in the, in his in that. And he owned up to it, and he said, you know, because he basically, you know, I mean, the yelling and screaming at whoever he was yelling at on the sideline is whatever. That's football. That happens all the time. I don't read into any of that sort of stuff that happens because coaches and players, it's an emotional sport where you get fired up and they yell at each other all the time every game, even when you're up 35 nothing. Like, it's just yeah. it's just what it is. I didn't read anything of it. The point, the thing that got kind of weird was when he ran right off the field and didn't, like, acknowledge the stamps in any sort of way or, you know, go shake Bo's hand or anything like that he was just gone which is very rare so uncody like so uncody like and so unquarterback like and he kind of brought that up and said you know i gotta be better than that i gotta control my emotions a little bit and you know for you know because he understands the platform he has and the example that he wants to set in this province that he needs to stick around and do the right things after the game as well so good at him for that but at the same time i understand why he was frustrated at the moment and i understand everything that he said after the game did he go a little far maybe but i'm not going to fault him for saying what was actually on his mind because and i wrote a piece for three down nation about this about his you know he apologized on tuesday to his teammates and then again in the media for everything that happened after that game including you know a post-game interview which if you read between the lines may or may not have thrown his teammates under the bus a little bit while not taking as much of the blame on himself as he should have which is all true but at the same time, I don't, as you know, we've said it, he didn't play that well in that game. I said it, I wrote it in the piece after the game. Cody did not we, play well. We were well. talking about it throughout the game. That This is the first episode, I think, where we start to worry a little bit about Cody. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, the frustrations were real and deserving. And some yep. of the criticisms of his teammates were deserving Exactly, well. and, and that's the point that I made was, okay, he was right to apologize to his teammates because whether we like it in the media or not, some of that stuff has to stay in the locker room. 100%. And I don't, I don't, again, I don't fault him for saying it. I'm not going to crap all over him for saying it because that'd be hypocritical of me. But I understand from a teammate locker room perspective, some of that stuff has to stay in the locker room. Yeah. And, and they'll, you know, they're grownups. They'll get over it. They'll be fine. And if you have that conversation in the locker room, they'll definitely be fine because I guarantee you everyone on the offense agrees that it was a team effort while the offense is struggling because. Cody knows he didn't play well, and he maybe didn't quite articulate that as well as he could have after the game, And but that's okay. Stuff happens. How he learns and grows from this will be sort of the main takeaway from what happens from this because, you know, there's a certain maturity level that in- involves being the starting quarterback, especially in a market like Saskatchewan, and I think mm-hmm. he learned that a little bit on Saturday, and that's okay. Yeah, no, and that's okay. Absolutely. But I I think the fact that he came out and didn't just privately, because, yeah. you know, if you're reading some of the tweets, neither of us were at practice today, but you can see that there mm-hmm. were people talking about how there was a meeting on the field, yeah. offense only, where I'm assuming that before he met with the media that Cody stepped yes. up and owned up to his comments and, and made that clear, right? Yeah, and that yeah, was a great yeah. deal of maturity. And then to double down and do that in the media – 
shows an even bigger level of maturity. Well, to as me. soon as and, you call an offense only meeting in the middle of practice where everyone's watching, you know what's going to come up. So you, he uh, you addressed it before, like he was even asked a question. <laughs> right, right. But I mean, how many times have we seen, and maybe less so in the CFL, but how many times have we seen guys just duck that question and oh it's between us and the players and blah 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 and i think it 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 takes a lot to show up and say yeah i i screwed up i was immature and Mm -hmm. and it shows what a leader he is right i I don't i don't disagree i don't disagree and say that to the media now now but the next time he has a bad game the next time the team has a bad game that's where we'll see how much it actually came through what actually changes going forward right? right you're you're absolutely correct and and he has good reason to be frustrated. And, no, I, and this absolutely. Was... And that, that was basically my point was in the in the piece I wrote was, okay, he was wrong, kind of say what he did. But what he said wasn't entirely wrong. No, he wasn't at all. Like Because, it, cause, I mean, okay, Cody Fajardo did not play well in that game. We've all, you know, that's kind of a no. well-established fact. But every single play on offense, whether it's successful or not, as important as the quarterback is – and the throw is ultimately the most important part of said play if it's a passing play. Um, mm. You know, it still involves the receiver getting open, which we can, you know, in that final play, and even in that one game, doesn't, you know, it doesn't always necessarily translate, but through the entire season, this has been an ongoing theme, and I think that's why the frustration really boiled over. It's not just that they had a bad game. It's as they have gone, and according to the stats that Jamie Nye of the Green Zone has dug up, they have gone from the best team in the CFL through eight games in 2019 to the worst team in the CFL through eight games at 2019, it passes over 20 yards. Yeah, so yeah. this Attempt, is not just... 20 yards downfield, a completion percentage yeah. of 22.5%, nine completions, six interceptions that our boy Nye dug up. So at a B, Nye doing our work and research for us. Yeah, so this isn't just a, you know, a one-game thing where things went sideways and it was bad. This is clearly, you know, sort of the culmination of the boiling point of a thing that has been going on all season. And... For that to take place, it is generally not just one person's fault in the sport of football. Unless your quarterback is, like, historically bad, which, of course, Cody Fajardo was not. No, <laughs> so unless unless it's Tino Sinceri. Yeah, there. exactly. So uh, what happens is I think what we're seeing is, we're you know, the, the the loss of Shaq Evans is certainly a part of this. Sort of the, you know, the loss slash inefficiency when he was in of Jordan Williams-Lambert is at play here. And so, and the receivers that are there, while they're good... You know, I think a guy like Kyron Moore isn't necessarily the deep threat, necessarily the game-breaking type. He's fun. He has moves, but we don't really... He, he doesn't bust open and go wide open. Uh, you know, the young he's, Canadian... He's more of a, of a name in Roosevelt type, but with a, a little bit more athletic and a couple more moves. Mm-hmm. The Canadian guys are young and upcoming. Uh, you know, Braden Lanius has some problem with drops. I think you, know, you can't really say anything bad about Keon Schaefer-Baker. He's been their best receiver. Mitch Picton is obviously still in a bit of a learning curve situation. But none of none of them are necessarily the deep threat in that regard. You know, the talk is Ricardo Lewis is supposed to be. I don't know. I haven't seen that. I haven't. Play. You, no, you're right. I haven't. I haven't seen squad out of him. Like, there's, yeah. there's. There's, he was great in camp, and I mean, you know, you always have those those heroes of camp that I'm sure are selling insurance in their hometowns now. But I, there hasn't been a moment that I've I've been watching these games and watching them on repeat that Ricardo Lewis has. I don't think he's been like he's been unfairly judged. No, and I I don't necessarily, you know, take what's happening to Ricardo Ricardo Lewis against Ricardo Lewis. I think he's been put into a spot to not succeed at this point. 
Because yes. I think Paul McRoberts has proven in one game to be more effective than Ricardo Lewis has been, essentially. Right, and but Ricardo Lewis also hasn't emerged as that deep threat that that can no. get open. And again, another Fraser curse and terrible Fraser take that I didn't think they'd miss Shaq Evans. And holy shit, have they ever missed Shaq Evans? Mm-hmm. So I and I think even like on that last play, if we really want to get into that final play. I don't, you know, yes, it was in the double coverage and it's a bad decision. I don't think Ricardo Lewis is quite where he was supposed to be either, which falls on him a little bit, but also I didn't really, you know, go back and look at it that closely. Falls in the bigger picture of the protection has broken down and they don't have the protection to go deep that often either with much success because Cody has to rush throws or he has to be on the move a little bit or this or that and the other thing. So the whole system required to make a play that is not a running play or a hitch screen or, you know, a one yard out is, you know, a whole lot of pieces need to work at once. And right now for a myriad of reasons, it is not. And I think that's why Cody was frustrated and that's why he wasn't wrong. Right. And, and I think you made a great point talking about the protection and I'll give Glenn Suter a lot of credit for this, who's been uh, a guy we've criticized, who's kind of starting to lose his fastball a little bit when it comes to his color commentary career. He pointed out on the Kyron Moore play that basically had Cody had more time, he would have been able to throw the ball in the way that he wanted and basically do the old drop in the bucket. But Mm -hmm. Cody was under pressure, so he had to more line drive it. He didn't have that extra. And we're talking like half of a second. Like if that line holds up for an extra half a second that pass to Kyron Moore probably falls in, right? It just, it on the surface, it looks like Cody just missed him, and, and maybe he did, but as you said, football is not, like, you look at the fact that Zach Caleros basically doesn't get hit anymore. He looks like, he, like, he doesn't even look like the quarterback he did in Hamilton. That's how good it, he's been with the protection there. Well, that's it, and it all comes down to protection, and Cody hasn't had that as well as he did last year, right? Mm. So it's easy, it's easy to focus surface level and go, and blame Cody, but again, you look at that line, and the line is improving. To me, Calgary did a lot of good things to get at Cody, and the line held up for the most part. Like, we're not talking about that Cody's getting hit on every single play like he was against Winnipeg. We're not talking yeah. about the fact he's that... Getting, they, I would say overall, he's getting middle of the road to below average protection. It's not, yeah. it's not panic horrible territory, but it can definitely be better. Right. Like, we're talking, like, if this line can hold up for an extra half a second he completes a couple more deep bombs right which we're not asking these guys to turn around like remember bc uh not this year but the last cfl season how porous that line is we're not Mm -hmm. you're not looking for an improvement from that to something great you're just looking for a little bit more and that wasn't there and it just it had that that feel it had that weird feel to it in terms of a football game it's almost like the ghosts of calgary losses past still reside with this rider team despite the fact they've had essentially wholesale changes but um and you touched on it before we talked about you Mm -hmm. know we talked about the importance of next week's game but before that i think i I, the duke williams side i think it's a it's it's a good signing anytime you can bring in guys with nfl caliber talent you do it and you do it in a heartbeat and you do it when you need that shot in the arm, especially to, I will give Jeremy O'Day a ton of credit that Cody essentially after the game said, I need receivers that'll catch those 50-50 balls. Mm -hmm. So Jeremy O'Day says, okay, I'll get you one. Now prove it. I'll 
I'll pull back the curtain a little bit. Justin Dunk was in town for uh, the Rams-Dinos game. He called the game for the Can West Showcase. I believe they were in on Duke Williams before he made those comments. But anyway, yes. Oh, interesting. <laughs> okay. I mean, oh, all right. Well, yeah. I don't. I, I don't get the time. Have... The time. The timing is funny, but I mean, these these things don't usually come together that fast, right? So I'm just right. saying, I think there were probably he was probably signed before that game in Calgary. Even really, it just depends on when you announce things, right? True, but you also know that 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 Cody probably has. If Cody's expressed that out loud. Yes, then, I mean, this is not a new frustration for him by any stretch of the imagination. He just, it reached a boiling point for him. Right. It, 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 he said the, the quiet part loud after the mm-hmm. game. So the team went out and got him Duke Williams. And yeah. Duke Williams, last time he was in the CFL, was absolutely dominant with Edmonton. Mm-hmm. Uh, scored a couple NFL touchdowns. Uh, just didn't fit into the things that they do in Buffalo. But I thought showed some value for a while as an NFL receiver. Now... Yeah. And the, the important thing for that with the Riders now is we know he fits in well because Jason Moss was his head coach. Um, you know, there's other connections within the organization currently that were with Duke Williams at the time, which obviously helped them land him. Right. But <clears throat> I don't think he's going to help. And I say that not just to be intentionally spicy, but it all comes back down to the offensive line and the mm-hmm. schemes and the game plans and the fact that teams just don't believe that William Powell's going to run and the fact that, that, that Cody isn't able to stay upright long enough. And when he is able to stay upright, he's not getting enough time to unleash that deep ball. And it worries me now that you're going to sign, you've signed Duke Williams who we anticipate texting with you, you say we're probably going to see after the bye week for game three of three mm-hmm. against Calgary. And I think there's going to be so much tension on Duke Williams that, you know, I, I'm, I'm worried about him being a bit of a bust and the frustrations boiling because because you got Cody, his, his new toy, his shiny new toy that was taken away from him. They got frustrated about and, and cried. You went out and got him some help but I don't know if it's help in the right spot because the writers receiving core is good. They're young. Shaq Evans looks like he should be back this season, but still that offensive line is not doing the job they need to do. Like you don't like, again, let's, let's look at, let's look at the fact that through eight games, the last time this team was on the field with Cody Fajardo at quarterback with a better offensive line, they're the best team in the CFL going downfield. Yeah. You've essentially got, I would say, the Riders' receiving weapons are better this year than they were the last season. And this team still can't push the ball downfield. There's no Duke Williams that's going to help. Duke Williams is not going to help with that problem. Offensive line play is going to help with that problem because to me, <laughs> the Riders' receivers are better. But their offensive line is significantly worse than the last time we saw them. I, I you don't look at the fact. Yeah, I don't disagree entirely. It would be great if they could upgrade the offensive line, <clears throat> Brendan Labat. But I, <laughs> I, <laughs> Derek Dennis. Yeah, oh, I mean that's a whole other kettle of fish. But I don't. That's a lot harder to accomplish currently. Yes. That's a lot like unless you you know. Unless you're, if it wasn't, if it wasn't a COVID year and you had isolation things to concern yourself with, yeah, you assign a pile of American offensive linemen to the practice roster and see who works out. 
but and maybe then you can right. make a couple of changes there. But this year being this year and isolation things to figure out that whole thing, it's it's a little more difficult. And I think, you know, in a good year, it's harder to find offensive linemen. It's plug them into a system and hope that you get better instantly like that. So it's a little bit more of a Band-Aid solution. I am hopeful that it will help them to some degree. It will at the very least force teams maybe to think about that they might go over the top a little bit with some success because... Duke Williams has maybe a little more ability to high point that ball, to fight more for a 50-50 ball that the other receivers currently don't have right now. Yes, certainly. Yes, ab- absolutely. Yeah, so I, 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 I agree with you. He's he's better than any options mm-hmm. that they have going deep. I still, I like, and I didn't think about it, and I, and I didn't think that way when I was watching the game. Now, again, I was watching the game, and, and my... My nephew was up, and it was it was kind of busy, so very surface level. It looked like Cody was just not that good. But when I watched the recording of the game, and I was watching the O-line play, it's still like, you're right. Duke Williams is going to make a difference. I don't know if he's going to make enough of a difference that Saskatchewan can get over. And, 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 the, and to me, you need to get over the problem of not being able to throw the ball deep in a hurry, because if not, yeah. everybody's just going to key on that and... It's not going to be pretty here for the rest of the season. I think that's fair. I think that's a fair comment, and I I think there's I think they're also kind of missing Naaman Roosevelt a little bit, if we can say that out loud. Finally, yes, um, I yes, think that might be I this. I think this might be one of the I'll say rare mistakes of the Jeremy O'Day administration so far, um, letting him go, just because you know we've seen some key second down drops at times this year. That simply Naaman Roosevelt just didn't make in 2019. No, no, and you're you're absolutely right. And because then, because then at least the drive continues, and there's always another opportunity rather than clank punt. Right, and 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 Kyron Moore is developing to be that guy, but he's not that guy yet. And let's face it, Naaman Roosevelt came real cheap and hasn't. I mm. mean, thanks to a. a terrible unfortunate dumbass situation where kenny lawler was one of the like take a fucking uber kenny pull your head out of your ass and take a fucking uber mm-hmm. it's that fucking easy credit to the bombers for getting ahead of it though yep full credit to them but i just i i have to drop three f-bombs because drinking and driving pisses me off but no, fair enough, um yeah. <laughs> right like so now that's the first time we're gonna probably gonna see name and roosevelt in blue and gold is, is this weekend it's just a shame that when he was released by Montreal, that Saskatchewan didn't take a crack. And I get why they didn't. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, they have, this. they have the Canadian ratio flexibility to go through with it. I, I just, I, they obviously didn't anticipate Jordan Williams Lambert having the drop off that he did. And now the injury, and apparently he's back in the States rehabbing that injury now. So who knows what the heck's going to happen with him the rest of the year. Yeah. It's, it's well, I mean, if he's down in the States, doesn't he have to at least pass the two week quarantine? Or if they change that rule, I don't know. I don't, honestly, it changes so much. I don't. I don't really know what's going on with that. I mean, now now he's got real Vince Young vibes. Next thing you know, he's going to be announced as having a job at his alma mater. <laughs> Maybe, right? Yeah, writers, writers, legend Vince Young. Absolutely. So they're facing Calgary again this week. The question then becomes, and I'm sort of starting to feel this way a little bit, at least as much as one can in this scenario. It kind of feels like a must win to me. Not like not yes. a, not if they lose their screwed kind of way, but just in sort of the grand scheme of everything going on right now, I'm like, 
they kind of need to win this game. Like this group, you know, the Riders are 0-3 against Calgary under Craig Dickinson and Jeremy O'Day and Cody Fajardo. Just a completely random small sample size stat. I get that. But just for the mojo of winning that and for the mojo of really making sure they secure the second spot in the West and the home playoff game, it feels like a game that they need to win. Otherwise, that door is just starting to creep open a little too much for my comfort. I would 100% agree with you. Um, this season is short enough that I think it's fair to start calling these games must-wins, and especially the momentum that Calgary will have. That, that, that might be the biggest thing. Like, they got a win last week. If they win again, they're at least back in they're back in serious conversation for a playoff spot. Yeah, and and you're very much in Saskatchewan's head yeah. heading into that third game after the bye week, right? Um, I think Saskatchewan, uh, the Riders will be much more ready for their intensity coming out of the gate mm-hmm. uh, because, let's face it, you win this game, I get it, BC has a bye week, but you're basically two games clear of the BC Lions at 6-3 and three to their 4-4. Four and four. And you own uh, the tiebreaker. Exactly, right? So so you're you're well ahead of the BC Lions if you can go ahead and win this one. Now, it will be... I don't want to put... I, I think if they lose it, though, like we're talking full panic, but, right? Like, you have just lost two in a row against a vastly inferior football team to you throughout this year. Being at home is going to help, even though this province is on fire, so I don't know how many people are, are realistically going to be at the game, but... It does, Joel. I agree with you. I think it is 100%. This is this. If you want to host a home playoff game and if you want to kind of put it in cruise control and spend the rest of the season sharpening and adjusting, you need to win this one. Because I feel like if you lose this one, Calgary's winning that third one, which seemed unfathomable a while mm-hmm. ago. Even though and if they win that third one, then it's it's all hands on deck, and who knows? And we're in for a wild finish. It is full panic time if they win that third one, right? So I said last week, and we talked about it a bit in the opening, that I had a gut feeling that that, that last week's game was just not going to go well. Uh, I feel much more confident about this week's game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, strangely, I feel fairly confident in the Riders' ability to win that game based off what I saw for most of that game. Right, right. I, I think it's good for a team to occasionally bleed their own blood. Are you sending and, a message to Winnipeg right now who is setting themselves up for potentially a West Final or a Grey Cup blow-up? We all know they're going to blow up in the West <laughs> Final. We, Joel, you, me, everybody knows that. This is like the old... Remember when the Indianapolis Colts were so fucking good back mm-hmm. in, you know, our youth that, like, Peyton Manning basically could take three games off, they'd play in the divisional round and just get smoked by somebody that's been playing for their lives. So that's well, how many, kind of... How, I mean, we don't even have to go that far. Like, how many years in a row now have the Hamilton Ticats had a free run through the regular season and couldn't close the deal? Right, which is which is why when you were texting me that this might be Hamilton's year as they sit here at 4-4, four and four, I'm going, <laughs> yeah, probably, because I feel like that West Final, especially if Saskatchewan loses this next game, Winnipeg is going to run into a very battle-hardened team that has been having to do everything they can to stay alive, and Winnipeg is going to be the Indianapolis Colts, and as a Blue Bombers fan, I expect a spectacular loss in the West Final, right? So I, I'm i with you. I feel I feel better about this game, and, and then heading into the bye week on a winning note is something you always want to do. 
Um, they, they bled. They tasted their own blood. Nobody makes me bleed my own blood. But it wasn't in such a like, it's not like they got whooped 50 to nothing. No. Had that no, happened, then I would be concerned, yes. Right. They played a shitty 10 to 15 minutes of football. Uh, they wore it against a team that needed it worse. Uh, they realized their faults. I think they've done some steps to correct them. Now it comes down to if they lose this week, though, it is full-on panic. And as a lover of chaos, I, 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 I hate to say it, <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen, but I kind of want to see it happen because I want to see the chaos in the West Division. That would, that's that's a fair comment. We're all we're always in favor of chaos and the dumb in this podcast. But yeah, exactly. I, 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 yeah, a loss would definitely be uh, a real kick in the uh, groin gourds. <laughs> it's Jacques Cartier. Show's over. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4:55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.